Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. Jesus. I want Jesus in my life so I can feel good. Not the true repentance of sin. Because when you feel so bad about what you've done, that you know you're going to be going to hell, You know there's no alternative but for a just and righteous God to throw you into hell. But then you find out there's a cure. Oh, glory to God. You're handed the parachute on your flight of life. Then you know you're saved. Or you are dealing with a Christian who may have backslid. And now he's truly repentant. Amen. You see, the guy who's looking for this feeling, this feeling of peace, he's not interested in hearing about his sin. He's not interested in hearing what his sin is going to cost him. He could be a fornicator or a blasphemer, but if he thinks he's saved because he's been, quote-unquote, born again at one of these grace preaching meetings, what's happening? He's using the grace of our God for an occasion of the flesh. He doesn't esteem the sacrifice that was made for him. For him, it's not a bad thing to trample on the blood of Christ. Why? Because he's never been convinced of the disease that he has, so therefore he doesn't appreciate the cure. Biblical evangelism, folks, is always, 100% of the time, without exception, law to the proud, grace to the humble. Never, when you're studying the Bible, never will you see Jesus giving the gospel, giving the good news, talking about the cross, the grace of our God, to anyone who's proud or arrogant or a self-righteous person. Not at all. Not one time. It's not recorded in the Bible. What is recorded in the Bible? With the law, he breaks the hard heart. And then with the gospel, he heals the now broken heart. That's why in Luke chapter 4, it says, He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Amen. With the law, he breaks the hard hearts. And with the good news, he heals the now broken heart. Why? Because he always did those things that pleased the Father. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is of a proud heart is an abomination to the Lord. 
Jesus told us for whom the gospel is actually for. He, see, he, he says right here in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind. Now, these are all spiritual statements. Amen. The poor in spirit. The brokenhearted are the contrite ones as outlined in Isaiah 57 15. The captives are those of whom Satan has taken captive to do his will. 2 Timothy 2.26 The blind are those of whom the God of this world has blinded, lest the light of the gospel should shine on them. 2 Corinthians 4.4 Jesus said only the sick need a physician. Mark 2.17 And only those who are convinced of the disease they have will appreciate and appropriate the cure at any cost. So I want to look briefly now. That was the foundation. <laughs> oh, glory to God. We're almost out of time. And I just finished the foundation. That's why I say this will be a couple weeks in this series. But we're going to look briefly now at a couple of examples of the law and how you use it to preach to the proud and preach grace to the humble. Amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 24. Luke 10, verse 24. Now, sometimes I like preaching just like the Bible does. And I'll give scripture references twice. Why twice, Brother Bob? Well, it's because I'm preaching to men, I know that. And it's documented biblical evidence that men need to be preached to twice. They need to be told things twice. See, this can be backed up biblically. When God speaks to men in the Bible, he always calls them twice. Abraham, Abraham, or Saul, Saul, or Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel. Because men, according to the Bible, need to be told things twice. But women, only once. I don't know how many times I've sat in a pew and a preacher said, uh, turn to Luke 25. And I'll ask my wife, I'll say, what did he say? Luke 25, 1025. Remember, folks, especially the men, your wife is your helpmate in this life. That's why God created women because men couldn't handle things on their own. I know I lose things all the time, but it'll be right in front of me. I'll ask my wife, where's the keys, or where's this at, or where's the remote? i say, right in front of you, and she'll come over, and yeah, yeah, there it was, right in front of me. I don't know how many times I've opened up the cupboard and said, where's the bowls, or where's this plate at? She says, it's right here. She'll reach around some dish that was blocking my vision. If I'd have just looked... A little harder, it would have been right there. I could have found it on my own, but it's like the running joke in my family that I can't find anything, even if it's right in front of me. Silence is deafening from the men listening to me right now. Glory to God. But I can hear the women yelling, Yes, amen, preach it. <laughs> amen. All right. Where would man be without women in their life? Probably still in the Garden of Eden. See, Eve found the tree. Adam didn't even know what was going on. In fact, if you look at the creation of women, to create woman, the Bible says God 
put man into a deep sleep. Not one scripture says he ever came out of it. Amen? All right. Did you find Luke 10.25 yet? Glory to God. Here we see a lawyer, a scribe, trained in the law of God, stand up and tempt Jesus. This is not a lawyer like we would use in our modern society today. He's not an attorney. He is a professing expert on God's law. And he stands up and says to Jesus, Teacher, how can I get everlasting life? Now, what did Jesus do? He gave him the law. He didn't say, just believe in me and everything will be all right. No, he didn't do that. He gave him the law. Why? Because you could tell he was proud, arrogant, and self-righteous. He believed he knew enough that he could trip up the Son of God. Here we have a professing expert on God's law tempting the Son of God with his own law. And basically what he's saying is, what do you think we've got to do to get everlasting life? So Jesus gives him the law. It says, what's written in the law? What is your interpretation of it? How do you read it? He says, ah, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus just says, do this and you shall live. But then the scripture says, he, willing to justify himself, and it's inferred there in front of all the people, says to Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? The Living Bible actually brings them all brings this out more clearly than the King James Version. Uh, it says, the man wanted to justify his lack of love for some kinds of people. So he asked Jesus, which neighbors? See, he didn't mind the Jews so much, but he really, really didn't like the Samaritans at all. So Jesus used the Samaritan and what we call the Good Samaritan to show what a neighbor was. In loving his neighbor as much as he loved himself, he merely obeyed the basic requirements of God's law. And the effect of the essence of the law, the spirituality of the law, of what the law demands in truth, was that the man's mouth was stopped. Amen? You see, he didn't love his neighbor to that degree. The law was given to stop every mouth and leave the whole world guilty before God. Just like we read in Luke 18, well, Luke 18, verse 18. I'm sorry, we didn't read that one yet. Luke 18, verse 18, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, says, how can I get everlasting life? Now, how would most of us react? <laughs> Preacher, listen to me. How would you react if someone came running up to you and said, Preacher, how can I get everlasting life? I would be willing to say that most of us will say, Quick, pray this prayer with me before you change your mind. Amen. What did Jesus do when someone did that to him? He pointed him back to the law. He gave him five 
horizontal commandments, commandments dealing with his fellow man. And when he said, oh, I've kept all those from my youth. Jesus said, all right, there's one thing you lack. And he went back to the essence of the first of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 2 and 3. He showed this man who said, oh, I've kept all these ones with dealing with my fellow man. I've kept all them. And Jesus said, all right, then you'd still got to do this one. He showed the man that his God was his money. His God was his money. And Jesus said, in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and money, mammon. Amen. So you minister the law to the proud, the law to the proud, the self-righteous, those who are trying to justify themselves. We see grace given to the humble. In the case of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus was a leader of the Jews. He was a major teacher in Israel. Therefore, He was thoroughly versed. He understood God's law 100%. He knew nobody could live up to that standard. Amen. But he was humble in his heart because he came to Jesus and acknowledged Jesus' deity as the Son of God. A leader in Israel told Jesus, we... No. He's talking about the leaders in Israel. We know you came from God. For no man can do these miracles that you do unless God is with him. So Jesus didn't send him back to the law. He recognized a seeker of truth who had humbled his heart, who had a knowledge of sin by the law. The good news of the fine that needed to be paid. He said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That was not foolishness to Nicodemus. It was the power of God unto salvation, as we read in Romans. Similarly, in the case of Nathaniel, when Jesus was calling the disciples, you know, getting his disciples, and they came to Nathaniel and said, Hey, we found him, we found the Messiah. Nathaniel, in John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51, Nathaniel was a true Israelite, brought up under the law in deed. In other words, he did the law, not just in word, he did it in deed. And Scripture says there was in him no guile, there was no deceit in his heart. Obviously, the law was a schoolmaster to bring this godly Jew to Christ. Similarly with the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They were devout Jews, godly Jews, who therefore ate, drank, slept God's law, studied God's law, talked about God's law. They knew God's law. Amen. Matthew Henry, a biblical commentator, said the reason they were gathered together on the day of Pentecost was to celebrate the giving of God's law on Mount Sinai. So when Peter stood up to preach to these godly Jews who knew the law, he did not preach wrath. They knew about the wrath of God that was coming. The law works wrath. They knew that. So he didn't preach righteousness or judgment to them. No, he told them about the good news that the fine had been paid for. And this pricked their hearts. And they cried out, men and brethren, what are we going to do? We killed the Messiah. What are we going to do? 
The law was a schoolmaster. It brought them to Christ that they might be justified by faith in his blood. Amen. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, it says, We know that the law is good if it's used lawfully for the purpose for which it was designed. God's law is good if it's used lawfully for the purpose for which it was designed. Well, through our study, what was the law designed to do? Amen? The following verse tells us, The law was not made for a righteous man, but for sinners. It even lists the sinners, homosexuals and fornicators. If you want to bring a homosexual to Jesus Christ and get them saved, don't get into an argument with him over his perversion. He's ready for you with boxing gloves on. He is prepared for that fight. No, give him the Ten Commandments. You see, the law was made for homosexuals. Show him he's damned despite being a homosexual. Even if he wasn't a homosexual, he's still going to go to hell. He'd go to hell if he was straight, just like every other straight person will. Show him he's damned despite that. For all, every man and woman ever born on the face of this planet, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. Homosexuals no less righteous than you before you accepted Christ. You could have lived in a glass bubble your entire life and still go to hell just because you were born into sin. Amen. So don't get all upset with the homosexuals for being homosexual. Yes, what's going on in our national politics is an abomination to God. But he loves the homosexuals too. He died for the homosexuals too. It's the sin that he hates. He loves the murderers, the rapists, the bank robbers, the drug dealers, the dope heads. Jesus died for all of them. It's the sin that he hates. And he hates it because it's going to separate you or them from him forever. Amen? So if you want to bring a Jew to Christ... Put the law upon him. Let him prepare his heart for grace, just like it happened on the day of Pentecost. If you want to bring a Muslim to Christ, give him the law of Moses. Don't argue with him about the Koran. Oh, they're experts at the Koran. They know what the Koran says. They know it better than you. Give him the law of Moses. They accept Moses as a prophet. Give them the law of Moses and strip them of their self-righteousness. And then... Bring him to the foot of the blood-stained cross. Why? Because the law of the Lord is perfect, Scripture says, for converting the soul. Think about the woman in John 8. The woman caught in the very act of adultery. Violation of the seventh commandment. The law called for her blood in Leviticus 20.10. They brought her to Jesus said, what are you going to do? The law says she deserves to die. What do you say? She was, she was stuck. She was in between, in between what we call a rock and a hard place. She had no avenue left but to fling herself at the feet of the Son of God and beg for mercy. And that's what the function of God's law is. She, when Jesus did what he did and everyone left, and then he asked the woman, says, is there anyone here to accuse you of anything? She says, none, Lord. 
And he said, I'm not going to accuse you either then. Just go and sin no more. In other words, I stand before you. And she received mercy. Amen. Mega churches today say, you can't condone sinners. Saints, they're already condemned. John 3 verse 18 says, he that believes not is condemned already. All the law does is show him himself in his true state. Amen. You might recognize this. If you dust your table in the living room, dust it clean, looks perfect, all done, and you draw back the curtains, let the sunlight in, what's the first thing you see on the table? Dust. Right where you just got done cleaning. There's still dust. You look in the air, you see little dust particles in the air. Did the light create the dust? No. The light exposed the dust. When you and I take the time to draw back the curtains of the Holy of Holies and let the light of God's law shine upon the sinner's heart, all that happens is he sees himself according to the light, according to the truth. Proverbs 6.23 says, The commandment is a lamp and the law is light. That's why Paul said, By the law is the knowledge of sin. That's why I said, By the commandment, sin became exceedingly sinful. In other words, the law showed him his sin in its true light. Now, we're almost out of time. Normally at this stage of teaching, I go through the Ten Commandments one by one. What I'll do is share with you how I think we can witness more perfectly to someone that would be more beneficial. Uh, I'm a strong believer in following the examples of Jesus. Never ever would I approach someone and say, Jesus loves you. Uh, some stranger on the street is totally unbiblical. You hear that, oh, that's how, you know, oh, Jesus loves you. Oh, Jesus loves you. But there's no precedent for that in Scripture. Nowhere does it say that's what we're supposed to say. Just like I wouldn't go up to someone and say, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Why? Because if I want to wake you up from a deep sleep, I don't go and shine a bright flashlight in your eyes. A lot of people get offended at that. Amen? You turn the light dimmer on gently, and just a couple nudges at first. Why? Because the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. They are foolishness to him because they are spiritually understood, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The precedent in Scripture is given in John 4 for personal witness. You can see Jesus doing this with the woman at the well. He started in the natural realm, swung off into the spiritual, brought conviction using the seventh commandment, and then revealed himself as the Messiah. You've heard me talk about witnessing to cashiers at grocery stores when they say, you know, how are you doing today in that sweet, drippy voice they're supposed to use. And you've heard me say, and my reply is, I'm blessed, saved, going to heaven. How about you? Bang, right there, right across the jaw. I mean, you get if you get a born-again believer as a cashier, they'll look up, their eyes all shine, and say, me too. And then you can carry on a Christian conversation while checking out for the benefit of the others in line. Glory to God. But if they look up you with that deer-in-the-headlight look, and say, huh, what? You know you got a live one online. Amen. And you can witness to them. Glory to God. If meeting with someone, you know, you talk about the weather or talk about sports, let them feel a little bit of sanity. Let them start to get comfortable with you. 
get to know them a little bit, maybe joke here or there, then swing from the natural to the spiritual. I like using tracks. Tracks are the greatest witnessing tool, amen? And get some unusual ones, not the standard one, God died for you, or, you know, get something that draws their attention to it. I say one, uh, it's called an optical illusion track. You've probably seen them, you know, two circles, which one looks bigger, but they're both actually the same size, amen? Uh, and you say, it's a gospel track. Here, the instructions on her back actually instructions how to get saved. So you can keep that. And so I'm like, oh, cool, thanks. You know, i got to show this to my friends. Then you say, i got another gift for you. And what's that? The Ten Commandments. What? Ten Commandments? What are you talking about? So, well, you know, Ten Commandments pretty much spells out how you get saved. Wait a minute, I thought you said you get saved by Jesus. Well, you know, do you keep the Ten Commandments? Well, I do the best I can. Okay, so basically then you, you admit you're a sinner going to hell. Well, I, I, I wouldn't say that. I'm, I'm, I'm not as bad as some people. I, I try and do good. Well, let's see which commandments you keep. Let's go through them. Have you ever told a lie? Well, uh, yeah, one or two little white lies. What, well, what does that make you? Well, a sinner? Well, no, no, not really. I, I mean, I'm not a liar. Well, how many lies then do you have to tell to be a liar? You hit 10 and a bell rings and they stamp your file as liar? I don't know. You know have, have you ever stolen anything? No. Oh, come on. You just told me you're a liar. Have you ever steal anything, even if it's small? Well, yeah, maybe. Well, what does that make you then? Well, this time he sees he's in a corner. A thief, and he lowers his voice and turns his eyes towards the ground. And then, you know, you say, well, Jesus said, if you look at a woman of lust after her, you committed adultery with her in your heart. You ever done that? Well, yeah, plenty of times. Then by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving adulterer at heart, and you're going to have to face God on Judgment Day for these things. And I've only looked at three of the Ten Commandments. There's another seven with their guns pointed right at you. Have you ever cussed or used God's name in vain? Yeah, but I'm trying to stop. Well, you know what then? You are going to hell unless you accept Jesus and the price he paid for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's do that right now. Can you do that? And usually they'll say yes. And that's what I want to offer you right now. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, this is your day and hour to do so. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I see when held up to the law that I am a sinner. I receive the cure for that sin, which is salvation through you. I thank you, Father, for honoring this prayer in Jesus' name that I can say I am forgiven and have been born again into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, email me at brotherbob at ftfm.org. Let us know. We're all out of time. We've got a lot more to go into. We'll cover it again next time. Till next time, it's Brother Bob reminding you God loves you. We love you. And greater is he is in you than he is in this world. Be blessed in all you do. 
You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.